Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. So welcome to 12 Stone here across our campus's 12 Stone home. So glad that you're with us this weekend. Now, here's a couple things I want to start with. If you're a parent in the room, let me hear, let me see a hand up here across the campus of 12 Stone Home. How many of you have kids in the home right now? Anybody, you're raising kids in your home. God bless you. Have you ever been in a place where you were trying to get your kids to do something and they wouldn't do it? Anybody? If your hand's not up, you're a liar. You are lying to yourself before, before God right now. Listen, my kids, my kids have grown up a lot in so many ways. So grateful. But there, are, there was one thing that I could not get a breakthrough. Amber and I tried everything we could. We could not get them to hang up their towels after shower. It's, I know it sounds silly, but it was just one of those annoying things where it's like this just wet humid towels sitting on the carpet and you'd walk and be like what was on this like just hang your towel up tried everything time out you lose technology you're in trouble there was even a brief stint where I said if I find it I snap you with it that lasted for one snap and so that that didn't work either uh, because they cried and I felt guilty so we tried everything then I instituted a one dollar towel pickup tax every time I see a towel on the floor I take a dollar out of your wallet. And they were like, you won't. I did. Guess how many times I had to pick up a towel? Two or three tops. Why? Because the money actually helped me control my kids. That's it. So I got to know today. Let's pray. So Jesus, help us control our kids. I'm just kidding. Listen, money made me feel I can control my kids. If you're a dude, you'll, you'll understand this. Maybe you've been here. You're a bachelor. You're in your 20s. You go to the fridge. Before you eat or drink anything, what do you do? Smell it, right? You don't know if it's good or bad anymore, right? So you got to smell it. So if you got like roommates and your boys are hanging, you go to the fridge, you're like, is this yogurt good? Oh, it's not good. It's not good. What are you, what are you mandated to do as a guy? Have someone else smell it, right? That's how you have to do that. Like, dude, smell this. And then what are you mandated to do as a guy next? Dude, take a bite, right? <laughs> Guys, anyone ever been there? Like, dude, you got to take a bite. And they go, no. And so what do you do? I'll give you 20 bucks. Okay, bite a yogurt, and you do it. How many times has this happened? How many times have you been, you said to your friend, dude, you're, you're at the lake or at the river, like, jump off the bridge. No way. I'll kill myself. I'll give you 20 bucks. All right, I'll jump off. How many dumb things have you done or would you have done as a guy for 20 bucks? Why is that the number? For 20 bucks, we do dumb things. Why? Because money makes us like, I can sort of control my friend's decisions with a, with a quick 20 See, my daughter is at middle school camp right now, along with 300 of her closest middle school friends. We're praying that God's moving mightily at that camp. But leading up to camp, she wanted some walking around money, as you call it. Like, I need some cash for the snack shop and whatever else. She had nothing. So Amber said, let me put together a list of chores, and each chore is worth this is a dollar, this is 50 cents, this is whatever. Well, the girls started going. Amber mentioned to me, like, I've not done a load of laundry in, like, two weeks. This is pretty cool. I said, how much has she earned? Amber goes, I don't know. Let me add it up. $62 for camp. I said, Amber, we got to stop subcontracting our labor around here. We're going to go broke. See, money sort of helped us control the chore list a little bit. See, money makes us feel like I, I got a little bit of control, doesn't it? See, my grandmother, who never 
had two nickels to rub together. This is what she say about money. Now she, let me give you her accent. Hey, Jason, here's the deal. I don't love money, but I sure do feel better with a 20 in my pocket. That's my grandma. And can we be honest? That sentiment's sort of true, isn't it? Like, I, I don't necessarily love money, but I feel better with a 20 sitting in my pocket. Here's, here's the question we're unpacking today. Here it is. It's simply this. Is money bad? See, is, is money bad? And you look at this question, and if you're like most people, you're like, oh, no, we're talking about money at church. I knew it. Maybe it's your first time here. Listen, and you're like, I always knew churches just want my money. I knew it. And now you're like, oh, I got to take a call, and you're trying to slide out. Don't, 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 don't. Just hang with me. Some of y'all are clutching your purse, grabbing your wallet. Listen, we're not taking an offering at the end. We're not going to take, who, this guy didn't put cash in. Tase him. He's not allowed to leave. No, 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 no. That, that's, that's not what this conversation is about, although I love, have you ever seen videos of guys getting tased? They lock up and they fall. It'd be super funny. We're not going to do that today. <laughs> Listen, our, this, is, this is a conversation that I believe God wants to unlock spiritual freedom. See, the nature of the kingdom is not one where God's chasing your money and your wallet like as if he needs it. It's about freedom. Listen, Jesus isn't after your wallet. He's after your heart. He just knows that those two things are connected. So we're going to be inside of a money financial conversation today. And listen, the longer I've sat in this teaching, can I just be transparent for a second? When I saw where we were going to be in the book of James, I was dreading this conversation. Because I know how you think. And I know what you think of me. And I know how the world thinks of the church. We just want your money. Da, 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 da. So I was dreading it. And the longer I sat in this, the more convinced I was that God has this message in this time for a reason. Because for many, if not most of us, we are watching our money more closely now than we were five years ago. You're watching inflation. You're watching the cost of things go up. 401ks go down. Uncertainty with the Fed and interest rates. Listen, this is a complicated season for your money. Am I the only one hearing this? Are you guys all like you found gas somewhere that's a dollar and I don't know it? Like this, this is a complicated season for our money. And maybe God sovereignly put us here in James and brought you here today because he wants to challenge you to evaluate your relationship with money. And maybe God wants to invite you into freedom. So if you've been with us this summer, we're inside the book of James. And James, one of the reasons we picked this is because James covers some of the most practical things in all of Scripture. He hits the most practical arenas. How does your faith actually play out? So it's no surprise that James would talk about money because money is one of the most practical things in our life. And I want you to buckle up. Because this passage in James chapter 5 is aggressive. Like James is going to go hard in the paint right from the jump. Like he goes after it. So buckle up, catch your breath, and we're going to jump in. He starts to paint a picture of a person whose relationship with money has built a terrifying life. And we have to see what this can lead to before we can talk about what God's inviting us to. Here's what an unhealthy relationship with money will build. It's a terrifying life. Here's the first one. This dude is hoarding. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten. And we've skipped past it. And moths have eaten. Listen, and your gold and silver are corroded. What's he saying? 
This guy has so much stuff that he's got closets that moths are eating. He's not even using the clothes he has. He has so much gold and silver, it's corroding in front of him. He's not even using it, just hoarding it. Then secondly, he's cheating. Now we can go to the next one. Perfect. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. What's he saying? You're cheating people out of the money they earned working for you. This is the dude that comes in and has a $150 bill at the restaurant and doesn't tip the waiter or waitress. We hate this guy, right? If you're a waiter or waitress, you're like, I'm going to be at the people's elbow. I don't like that. You're cheating. Then it moves on. He's self-indulgent. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Listen, we're commanded to enjoy the fruits of our labor. However, he crossed this line where he was living in excess and self-indulgence and seeking pleasure was his God. And lastly, he was oppressive. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. See, the way he got his money was by hurting other people. Like, think Bernie Madoff. Like, I'll do whatever I can. It's going to hurt all these people, but I'm getting money. Listen, I don't want to be friends with that guy. I don't want to hang out with that guy. I don't want to play golf with that guy. If I'm a waiter or waitress, I don't want to wait on him and his table. See, this is what life looks like when your relationship with money is off. It's a terrifying life, isn't it? And I told you, James going hard in the paint. That's aggressive. Weep, wail, woe to you, oh rich people who have this kind of relationship with money. See, why would someone live this way? Doesn't it sound miserable? Like that life doesn't sound exciting. It sounds miserable. Why would someone cheat and indulge and oppress people and steal all to get money? See, because getting money by any means necessary, it's so tempting because money makes us feel like we have control. Can you be honest? Money makes you feel like you have some control, doesn't it? Like it makes me just feel more at peace when I got some cash. If I can just get enough money, I can protect myself from whatever uncertainty the future has. I can build the life I want for my family, for myself. With the right amount of money, I can have security. I can be in some amount of control. See, let me, let me, let me illustrate it this way. If you ever shopped at Home Depot with kids, you've probably seen one of these guys. Anybody? It's a shopping cart that looks ridiculous. However, it's fun when you have kids. When my kids were younger, we used to put them in these seats. And this was the best part. If you can see, it has a seat belt that they don't know how to open. So you just lock your kids in, snap it. And they have these steering wheels that the kids get to play with, right? And so I was a fun dad. So I like to, to help and laugh and enjoy with my kids. So we get to Home Depot and I had a list of things to do. But I would put them in the seat and they'd get the steering wheel. And what I would do is I would play the game for a while. Like if they turn left, all right, here we go. We go left. They'd turn right and I'd go right and they'd start to believe I'm actually steering the cart. And I would take it a little bit further because I'm this guy. Like they would, they would start to test how far is dad willing to go? Real far. I would crash into stuff. They would steer into it. And I'd be like, all right, boop, not hard, but boop. They would laugh and laugh. It was awesome. But eventually I had a reason for going there, right? Like, I'm trying to fix something at home, or I needed some supplies. So eventually, they're turning left, and I have an agenda to the right. 
And so they turn left, I go right, and they go, Daddy, this isn't fun. What are you doing? You're supposed to steer left with me. And I go, listen, the, the game is now over. The illusion is over. They were quickly disillusioned going, I thought I was steering. Listen, this is a picture of money. It's cute and funny when it's dealing with toddlers. It's less funny when we start to live this way with our money. And money makes you believe you're steering your life. And it only lasts for a minute until you realize you might have less control than you think you do. And don't pretend we've not been here. Listen, if I can just get the right kind of money, I can get into the neighborhood I want to get into. With the right kind of money, I can give my kids the life I want for them. With the right kind of money, I can give my spouse the, the kind of life they want. Money gives us this illusion that we have control. See, and in Luke 12, Jesus lays out this conversation about money that is absolutely brilliant. When I read it, it's like, Jesus, you're reading my mail. You know exactly what I'm dealing with. You know exactly what I'm thinking. You know exactly my proclivities and my temptations with money. And I think Jesus wants to speak into this conversation. Listen, money makes you feel like you have control. And here's how Jesus addresses it in verse 16. He tells them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Praise God. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So what was, what was happening? This guy has a banner crop. And he says, listen, I want to be able to store up enough where I have some control for the future. Like, if I can just build a big enough barn, store up enough crops, nothing can touch me, right? Like, I have control now. I'm safe. I have security. And so he built bigger barns. Now, unless you're a farmer, you're probably not building barns. If you are, super cool. Good for you. But that's not most of us. How might this look today? We don't have barns, but we do have shopping carts. And we still want... This feeling that like I can control the uncertainty of the future. I don't like not driving. Like my wife always has to drive. I'm like, no. She's like, why? I don't like not feeling in control. And financially, money makes you start to feel like you're in control. I have security. I can control things. And you don't have barns, but you do have shopping carts. And maybe you'll find yourself in one of these sort of five lanes of control and I'll tell you which one's mine. Maybe you'll find yours. The one that you're most likely to trip in. Here's the first one. You might be in the prepper group. And for you, if you can get enough water, food, get you a generator, a stash of ammo. If I can just get enough stored up, I can control the uncertainty. I can control whatever comes. Power grid goes down. I got a generator that'll last me for months. I'm gold. You think, listen, you start to think, if I can have the right kind of money, I can purchase the right things, I can put the right things inside of my cart, and I actually have some control. Maybe you're in this lane. You're in the parent lane. And what you want to control is you want to control your kid's future. Parents, anybody? You go, listen, if I could get my kid to the right school around the right kids in the right neighborhood, if I had the right kind of money, I could do that and get them into the right sports 
and give them the right resume so they can get to the right college. That's Harvard's logo, by the way. Uh, good luck with that. Listen, if I could just get the right things in place, I could actually have some control for my kid's future. Maybe you're, you're in this lane. And by the way, this is mine. You're in the planner lane. If I can get the right money in my 401k or IRA or stock market, if I could just put the money where it could sit there and I know that I know that I know my future is covered. Here's the problem. This is not the stock market. That is right now. How's that working for you? See, this is my temptation to be the planner. I could just, if I could just store up enough for my future, everything's covered. Maybe you're in this camp. You're the pleasure seeker. You want to control your enjoyment and your fun. Listen, if I get the right kind of money, I can have the right vacations, drive a fast, fun car, all my hobbies that I want. If I can just get the right things in place, I can have control over the things I get to do and the joy. Maybe you're in this camp. You're the people pleaser. And you want to control people's perception of you, how they see you. If I can have the right kind of money, I can wear the right type of clothes and the right type of brand and live in the right kind of house that people will look at me and say, now that guy, that girl's successful. And I want to look right on Instagram. So everybody looks at my life and goes, they got it. You want to control how people perceive you. Listen, you look at this and it's sort of funny until you realize we've all lived here before. This sense, the lie that money tells you is, listen, if I can just store up enough, I can have control for my future. And it's a terrifying thought. And I want you to consider, which of those five lanes do you lean towards? Might be a good conversation on the way home. See, Jesus told the story, the farmer got the right amount of crops in his giant barn. He's finally got it. I'm untouchable for years. I can eat Drink and be merry. Life is good. But then Jesus finishes the parable and here's how it ends. It's haunting. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. He thought, I've got everything set. Barns full, crops for years, I am set, nothing can touch me. And then the uncertainty of life showed up. It's gone like that. All the control he thought he had, he could not control from losing everything he stored up. And let's not pretend that many of us feel that way between 2019 and now. I'm set, things are in place, I've got my barn full, and now you look and you're going, oh Lord. I, I, thought, I thought I had planned well for the future. I thought I was in a good position. Listen, like the game I played with my kids, they thought they were in control until they realized they weren't. And their little steering wheel wasn't connected to the wheels. It was just screwed onto the thing and a great advertising ploy for me to spend more money at Home Depot. Had nothing to do with them steering. The illusion was popped. Now listen, where did things go wrong for the farmer? We've got to be candid here. Was it wrong that he planted a big field? Nope. You should work or you don't eat. You should do that. Plant your crop. Was it wrong that he had a banner year of harvest? No. It's a blessing. Praise God. You, your land, which you have very little to do with, God helps things to grow. Your land produced all this crop. Praise God. Celebrate it. That's awesome. Same is true for these lanes. Listen, you look at these lanes and go, 
there's a lot of smart stuff in what I described, right? Like you should probably have some food and water in case the storm comes through. That's a good thing. You should be generous as you can with your kids and your family. That's a good thing. You should plan for the future. Like I'm not telling you today, don't put money in your 401k. That's foolish. Plan for your future. You should enjoy your life. Listen, you should, it's okay that you want people to see you as a good dude. It's a fine, but, but when does it go bad? For the farmer, it went bad when he put his trust in what he had stored up in the barn. It's a subtle shift for us. It's not bad when you prepare and you plan and you're wise with your money. It goes bad when your trust is in the things you can store up for you in your cart. It's a disposition. Listen, this is not about a dollar amount. It's about a disposition of your heart. This is not rich, bad, less than rich, good. No, or the opposite. That's not what the conversation, Jesus is saying, listen, when you trust in the things that you can store up for your security, that's where things go bad for you. And I'm having this conversation with us today because we don't know what the next two to four years look like. And maybe God wants to get your heart right now before we get to whatever's coming. And Jesus then begins to paint this beautiful picture in the next verse. He says, all that, that parable of the farmer. Now let me show you the invitation into a beautiful relationship with your heavenly father. This is what the kingdom's like. This is what our father's like. In Luke 12, 27, here's what he says. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about those things. For the pagan world runs after all those things, and your father knows what you need, that you need them, but seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do you see the stark difference between the man described in James 5? Cheat, steal, grab, whatever it takes, accumulate, get more, get more, get more. I got to get all my stuff so I can control. And the difference between the farmer, I got to just build a bigger barn so I can control my future. And then Jesus is like, Look at the flowers, dude. They, they don't do anything. A seed falls in the ground that God put nutrients in. The rain falls that they had nothing to do with. They grow up and they're beautifully clothed. And they did nothing. There's a freedom in the relationship God invites us to. Now listen, this is not an invitation to not work. And just go, I'm a flower in the field. Look at me, God. I am just, look, I just make it all work. No, no, no. He said, look at the flower of the fields, not be one, right? Look at them. But he's giving us an invitation, like the relationship I want to have for you, with you is where I'm in control and you trust me. And I take the weight of being provider. See, you don't have to set your heart to worry about the things the world worries about because you have a father in heaven. God cares for you. See, here's what's interesting. When we get done at Home Depot, kids played their game. We got done with it. My kids had no worry in the world about who was paying at checkout. 
You ever get there? Dads, you ever feel that way? It's like, you don't even think about the fact that there's a check coming at the end of this dinner, do you? And it's gotten more expensive to pay for dinner. Those Home Depot trips are not as cheap as they used to be. They had no concern in the world about who was paying at checkout. Why? Because they trust their dad. Anything in my cart, I'm responsible for. The relationship that Jesus is laying out is this. If you will seek first his kingdom, put him first and trust him, he will step into the role of provider. My kids had no ability to pay for what got put in the cart. <laughs> and they equally had no worry about how it was getting paid for. Why? They were like the flowers of the field, baby. God, my dad, I trust him. He's always come through. He'll come through again. Now, caution. This is not a get-rich-quick theology or a prosperity gospel. This is not a name-it-and-claim-it. This is not anything you can sneak into God's cart he'll pay for. God's not talking about private jets and Lambos. Listen to me. That's not what he's talking about. God's saying, listen, I will provide for your needs. That's the, that's the invitation of the relationship in the kingdom. God's saying, listen, this relationship is predicated on trusting God and seeking him first. And when you seek him first, he owns the responsibility at the checkout. And I don't know about you, but this next season, I don't want that responsibility on my own. Do you? See, the question we started with, is money bad? It's a complicated question, but here's the answer. Money is a good tool, but a bad God. Listen to me. Money is neutral. A dollar bill does not have good or evil attached to it. There's no place in Scripture where Jesus says, the dollar bill is wrong. If you have money, you're wrong. That's never said. Here's the deal. It's about your relationship with money. Money is a great tool. It's good. Man, money is how you buy food, put a roof over your head, have fun with your family. It's good, but it makes a really crummy God. See, what was in common with both of those people that were described, the rich man in James 5, the rich farmer, is they had substituted their money to be their God. See, where it goes bad is when you put your trust and your hope and your security in your money and not God. See, when we walked around Home Depot, we played the game for a while. They turn left, I turn left. They turn right, I turn right. And when I stopped playing the game, they started to get frustrated. You know what they did? I want to get out of the cart. I don't want to be in this cart anymore. If I can't control it, I don't want to do it. And as they got older, they started learning how those little seatbelts work. And they'd climb out and go, fine, I'll push the cart. And they'd be down here, which was super cute. But their little, their little, their little self sort of I want control side would drive you nuts. But they were cute looking. And what they wanted to do was this. I want to drive the cart where I want to go. And they would literally want to get out of the cart because I'm not playing the game like they think I should play it. And they want to push the cart themselves. And what they quick, quickly discovered is the independence that they want came with a cost. Their little legs now have to keep up while pushing their cart. And then when we get to checkout, it's not my cart anymore. <laughs> Who's paying for that, son? Because that's not my cart anymore. You took it. See, this is a picture for how we interact with God sometimes in regards to money. Like, God, if you're not going to steer the direction I think you should steer, 
I just want to get out of the cart. I'll push, fine, I'll push my own. You know how my kids would have had a blast and stayed in the game even after I stopped steering where they went? If they would have just trusted me, stayed in the cart, and steered the direction I was already going, the game would have continued. Listen, when I turn left, they turn left. Oh, this is fun, Dad. When I turn right down the hammer aisle to go get another hammer for who knows why, because I like them, they turn right with me. See, they could have stayed in the game and enjoyed the relationship, me and my kids having a time out at Home Depot. All they had to do was trust me, stay in the cart, and steer in the direction I was already going. And God invites us into the same thing. See, how, how do you walk through this season? What should your relationship to money be? Listen, if you would trust God, stay in his cart and steer your life in the direction he's already going, that is a life like no other. But it requires that we surrender control. And the tension is you think money will give you control. Jesus is saying you have less control than money makes you feel like you have. You surrender control. In fact, here's the thing. The opposite of control, you know what that is? Trust. The opposite of control is trust. The wicked rich man in James, he chased control by amassing a fortune at great expense to people around him and great expense to his soul. But he felt like he had control. Listen, the, the, the farmer, he was chasing control. If I can get a big enough barn, I can build a life that's untouchable by the uncertainty of everything going on. I can be in control. And the, the battle between money is between trust and control. Trust and control. So let me ask you, what are you chasing? Trust or control? See, if you want to know what's winning, if you want to know, am I chasing trust or control? Jesus ends this passage and says, this is how you know what you're really chasing. Not what you say you're chasing, what you're really chasing. Here's what he says. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You probably read that verse before, haven't you? You've heard it. You might have quoted it. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Listen, for Jesus, he says, this is not even a conversation about money. It's about your heart. Jesus is not after your wallet. He's after your heart. And he's saying, if you want to know what you're chasing, Look where your treasure is, and that's where your trust is. And for many of us, if we're honest, if you were to trace where your money goes, your trust is in one of these five lanes. I'm prepping. No one can touch me. Man, I want to just get enough money to control the future for my kids, and, and they, I want to control how they turn out and all the future stuff. I want to spend the money on travel ball and the sports. I got to get enough, and I'm actually in control of their future now. Or you're a planner, my 401k, my retirement, my savings account. Or you just mean, I want enough money to enjoy life and vacation whenever I want. Or I want enough money where people will look at me and go, that's a success. I want to control how they see me. Listen, if you trace your money back, you will find out where your heart and your trust really is. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And the invitation of Jesus is to surrender control and give God your Trust. Listen, you're chasing one or the other. And can I, can I just talk to you for just a few minutes before we close? See, this teaching might turn out to be timely. 
because I don't know what the next two to four years is going to look like. But when you listen to the leading economic voices, they tell us that inflation very likely could continue. And they tell us that, listen, we can assume a fair amount of economic uncertainty. What's the Fed going to do next quarter with interest rates? What's the stock market going to do? What's your 401k going to do? What are gas prices and food prices going to do? No one knows. I cannot tell you. In, in a year, we might all look around and go, my 401k is at record highs. Awesome. This is great. Or in a year, you might look and go, I thought I was going to be able to retire at 65. It just bumped to 75. Or, man, I thought I was, I was on track to save up enough to get this car that I wanted, and now I don't have it. And I thought I was going to have enough saved up that this, listen, I know myself well enough that I have to monitor my heart closely in seasons like this. And maybe God sovereignly brought you into this conversation to prepare your heart for what is coming. And if you are chasing control in this next season, it's going to be very complicated for you. But the good news is, Jesus invites you to chase trust. You don't have to worry like the world worries because you have a father in heaven. And listen, here's the question I ask myself to monitor my heart in these seasons. So how, how do you really monitor and guard your heart stepping into these type of seasons? I go back to the passage, Luke 12 and 31. Here's what he says, but seek first his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Here's the question I ask myself. What gets my first and best? You want to put the rubber where it meets the road? What gets your first and your best? Your first and best time. What gets your first and best energy? Your first and best thoughts? Guys, why when you're dating a girl, why does she love the good morning, beautiful text first thing in the morning? Because you were the first thing on her mind. That, that text doesn't have power at 1230 or 1 in the afternoon, right? Like it matters that she got your first and your best. That's a pro tip, by the way. Set your alarm, 7 a.m., Amber and I were long distance. Hey, babe, she, th she thought, I, I love you. She thought, I just woke up, my heart woke me up. And I was like, Amber, I love you. No, I set an alarm, dude. Like, I'm smart. But why was it valuable? Because it was my first and my best moments of the day. What gets your first and your best? What gets your first and your best financially? It's real quiet when we talk about this stuff. But Jesus was quite loud through all the scripture. He talked about money more than almost anything else. Why? Because our money and our heart and our trust and our security are so intermingled, he couldn't pull money out from the conversation. It had to stay in. And listen, as the world gets more uncertain, everything in me starts to chase things that make me feel like I'm in control. And I'm not saying that as like a sermon illustration. I'm making it up. This is true of me. As the world gets uncertain, I watch myself start to grab for control. And for me, my lane of the five is the planner lane. And I can literally look at my bank account and my credit card statements and watch my first and my best start to go towards hoarding something that will give me the feeling of control. All right, Amber, we're locking things down. That savings account has to go up and to the right for the foreseeable future because I don't know what's going to happen. It's got to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And once I hit a certain number, I'm at peace again. I did it. I've now back in control. 
What's going to happen? Okay, I need to put new tires on the car. Bring it. I got money in the bank. I feel like I'm in control again. And that is a dangerous path to run down. Listen, I feel it in me. What is getting your first and your best? See, when it comes to money, let me tell you how Amber and I break the chains of wanting to control things. We give God our first and our best of our money. Maybe you've never heard it described that way, but that's what a tithe is. The first 10% of all of our resources, all of our money go back to God because he's provider. What do I do first? I seek first his kingdom and the relationship for provider is predicated on that. If I will seek him first, all the rest of the things I worry about, he goes, I'll own that now. Not all the things I want, not my desires, not a private jet and a Lambo, but saying, God, you promise you'll care for my needs if I'll seek you first. So God gets the first and the best, not the leftovers, not what happens at the end once I do all my storing up and then I give to God. No, he gets my first and my best because that's what he invites us to. He says, will you trust me with your money? And you're either chasing trust or control. You cannot chase both with your first and your best. And you might say, listen, I'm not really into the tithe thing. That's not, I don't do that. Maybe you never thought about this. Everybody under the sound of my voice is already tithing. Something gets your first and your best already. The question is just, what are you tithing to? And if we're honest, if you could just be dead honest, or if you'd look at your credit card statement, or if you'd look at your savings account, you would chase that path back, and you might find that your first and your best is going towards building things that you think you can control uncertainty with. And I would warn you, be careful. Where your treasure is, your heart is also. The invitation of God, trust me, in my cart and steer your life where I'm going. See, why do Amber and I tithe other than just obedience? Listen, I need it to break the natural human instinct to chase control in seasons of uncertainty. Tithing is my tangible act. Once again, saying, God, I worship you first and it realigns my heart and realigns my trust. I tithe and Amber and I tithe because I can't handle the weight of being my own provider. I crack and I crush under that weight. If I truly believe I'm on my own, I'm not seeking first God's kingdom, then he's not assuming the role of provider in my life. I can't live under that kind of pressure. Why? Third reason, I want freedom. I know myself and my propensity to try to grab and hoard and control. And what you end up doing, you start grabbing and controlling things. And now money is your God and you have to prop him up. See, when money's your God, when the stock market goes down, your God is crumbling before your eyes and your life starts to crumble. But Jesus says, if you'll step into this relationship that God invites you to, as the world falls apart, we don't have to. We have a provider in heaven. See, I trust that God can do more with 90% than I can do with 100% by myself. Listen, if you're, if you're here and you're spiritually unresolved, first time here, you're in this, you're going, what are we talking about, bro? Listen, God doesn't want or need your money. He wants your heart. So 
maybe today what you need to sit in is the picture that Jesus painted of the flowers in the field. He wants that kind of relationship. His kingdom offers that kind of freedom to live without worry and fear. That's what you need to do. See, maybe you're already a follower of Jesus and tithing is already a part of your rhythm. I want to encourage you, stay in that. Keep trusting God no matter how uncertain the world gets. Keep trusting him. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus and tithing used to be part of your world. And over the last couple of years, if you were honest, this is what happened. In the uncertainty in the last couple of years, you started giving your first and best to other things. And maybe God brought you here to remind you, listen, you can chase control or you can chase trust. You can't chase both. God honors current obedience over past mistakes. Jump back in. Trust him first. He didn't need your money, but you need to give it for your heart's sake to trust. Listen, maybe you're among the thousands of people that are new to 12 Stone over the last couple months. Literally thousands of you across our campuses, tens of thousands online, and you're new to the place, and you're like, I don't know what to do with this thing. Listen, as you're sort of exploring, what is this going to be your church home? Is this the place you want to connect? Is this when you start to invest? This starts to feel like family. And so the invitation's open. See, as the pastors get ready to stand up and pray over us, this, this conversation is not an indictment. It's an invitation. And I want to say it a little bit weird. God is inviting me to ride in his cart. I'm 40. I'm a father. I'm a husband. I'm grown. I can buy my own groceries. I'm grown up. But in the relationship between me and God, I'm the kid sitting in the cart. And God invites us into this childlike, beautiful faith, saying, God, I trust you with my first and my best. Listen, here is where I surrender control. Here is where I demonstrate my trust. Here is where I discover that I don't have to be in control because he is. Here is where I find my security when the world looks like a dumpster fire and a mess. This is where I can be unshaken as the world feels like it's being shaken. And Maybe God brought you here for this conversation. Listen, let's ask the question. What are you chasing, trust or control? I need to look through those five lanes again. What are you really chasing? Second, where might you need to reprioritize what gets your first and best? God invites you to Surrender control and trust him. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.